This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life, only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I am your host, Brett Gilliland. I'm fired up today. Anybody knows me, Joe, knows I love St. Louis sports, and I've got a legendary St. Louis sports guy, Joe Buck. What's up, Joe? How are you, Brett? I'm good, man. How are you? I just want to let all of your listeners and or viewers and or whatever you got going on uh, know that I've played golf with a lot of people, both tour player and amateur, and I have not seen anybody bomb a ball off a tee like I have with you, Brett. It was a thing <laughs> of beauty, and you make me feel like less of a human because well, of it. You know, I had to lift some weights that morning, I think. I knew I was playing My God. at your club and, you know, all the money we had on the line. I oh, my God. Tens of tens of ones. Yeah, it was uh, – <laughs> It was a blast. It was good being with you then, and I'm happy to be with you now. This is awesome. I, I love uh, – if anybody who knows me knows I love talking about myself, so here we yeah. are. <laughs> That's what we're going to do for, like, the next 45 minutes probably. Okay, so good. It'll be good. awesome. Well, man, I appreciate it. Yeah, like you said, we played some golf together, and uh, but you have, what, 23 World Series you've done, I think six Super Bowls, man. You've seen it all. And uh, But, you know, you grew up a St. Louis kid. Obviously, your dad, Jack Buck, and he's a legend and uh, obviously himself. And But what was it like, man? What was it like growing up in St. Louis? What was it like growing up as Jack Buck's kid? And, and uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, I, I would be crazy to complain about any piece of it, and I'm not. So as I tell the story, it's not a complaint. It's just the way it was. Um, St. Louis can be a small town, and I think that's, that's good and sometimes bad. I think the good of it is people really pull for one another, um, yeah. and people, uh, maybe the bad of it is, might know – every part of your business, even if you don't want to share it. But I, I think growing up as a kid in this town, being my dad's son, uh, knowing that when we went out to dinner, eyes were on us. Um, and I, I think that stuff kind of kept me on the straight and narrow. I was always aware when I was a little kid that if I did something that I should have been doing and got caught doing it, I would really shed a bad light on my family name and, and in particular my dad I just never wanted to disappoint him and it was it was the best way for me as a kid to understand uh you know the way you present yourself in public even when I was eight nine ten years old I wasn't the kid running around the restaurant throwing stuff throwing forks and bothering everybody at their table and if we were acting up uh, and I say we, cause I have a little sister who's three years younger than me. My dad would say, go play in the parking lot. And we'd go out there and whether it was a Canetto's or wherever it was, but I, 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 being my dad's kid was the best. I, I got a chance to go to every national league city. By the time I was 12, 
I grew up at Bush Stadium. I would shag fly balls in the outfield before games. I would. I learned how to pitch from Hub Kittle, the Cardinal pitching coach in the early 80s. I threw to big league catchers when I was down there throwing in the bullpen. I was around the broadcast. I had a master's class going on every day of, of the summer. I, I sat there and watched my dad broadcast a game into a microphone. I was 10 feet from him. I'm watching the game. I watch what goes into it. And I'm listening to the radio broadcast through uh, half of a set of headphones. And, and all that stuff sunk in. And, and I, you know, that's why I was ready at 19 to go to AAA and ready at 21 to do the Cardinals and call my dad and Mike broadcast partners, as well as my dad and my friend. And I just couldn't have, couldn't have asked for more blessed life growing up. It's amazing, man. And I told you this on the golf course, but it's, you know, most of us in the, in the greater St. Louis area or hell, even in the Illinois, Missouri, Arkansas, wherever we, we don't remember life without either your dad's voice or your voice. Yeah. I mean, literally like I don't, I mean, my whole life has been either listening to your dad or listening to you do ball games, man. And it's like, you know, you came with coach ball game. You came to our camp, right. A couple of weeks ago. And, and I had my back to you actually. And it's one of those things I heard you coming down the stairs and you guys got these voices, right. That, I don't have to turn around. I know it's Joe Buck. You know, yeah, that's that's bad. My dad used to joke that he could never uh, rob a bank with a mask on because the minute he said, <laughs> "Put your hands up," right, load up this bag with all your cash, everybody would know it was Jack Buck, whether he was wearing a mask or not. So, uh, my dad had, I think, a more distinct voice. Maybe mine. Uh, I think mine's a little. Uh, more pure because I haven't smoked my entire life. Yeah. Uh, he, he started smoking when he was a little kid and he used to joke whenever uh, young people would get around him and asked him, they would ask him, well, I want to get into broadcasting. What do I need to do? And his first answer right off the top was start smoking, like get your <laughs> voice lower, which is not a good piece of advice to give to kids. Right. Uh, but that didn't slow him down. But I, I know what you're saying. And, and I think that's maybe the greatest compliment anybody can pay uh, somebody who does what I do, that they know the voice without having to see the name or hear the name. And, and hopefully when they turn on a game and they hear Troy and me doing it or Smoltz and me doing it, they know it's uh, they know it's a game they should yeah. be watching. That that's the cool part of, of what we do for, you know, as long as we've done it. I mean, speaking of Smoltz, you, uh, you talked about my golf game. You, you're not too shabby yourself. So uh can you hang with Smolty? I heard he's a hell of a golfer. I, I mean, I can't beat him, but I cannot embarrass myself. And we have fun. You know, when we do World Series where you're in a city for three or four days and it's a warm weather place in the end yeah. of October, uh, you know, L.A., Houston, whatever it might be, uh, we get out and play during the day. And it's just kind of a nice pressure buster and something to kind of remember that you're – just doing a baseball game and you're there to have fun. And, and it, it makes us closer as, as broadcast partners too. So I, I never got it when I was a little kid, I didn't grow up playing golf, but I sure get it now as an adult, uh, how much that game can help you really extend your circle of friends and get to know people better. Uh, it's just different than even sitting at a, table with them eating lunch it's there's just something about that game that that really kind of makes you bear all and you, you see that with your friends and and you're like okay i like this guy i don't like that guy i i, I don't i don't want to spend four hours with that guy walking around on a golf course you i would spend four hours walking around with on a golf course but not everybody passes that test for me it's it's yeah. a good it's a good barometer 
It really is. We do that from a work standpoint. Sometimes with people we're bringing in as advisors, we'll take them golf and it's like, gosh, can I spend five hours with this guy or gal? Yeah, I can. Right. Right. They pass the test. They pass the test. So, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, that really makes me mad to hear that you didn't play as a kid and you're still a three handicapper, whatever you are, and you're that good already. So uh, anyway, that's a whole yeah. other point. Well, I'm 52. I've been playing for a long time now. I didn't play as a kid, but I played when I started broadcasting in, in my early 20s. So I'm good. So I've, I've got about a thousand questions here and people wrote in on uh, some social media stuff, some questions to ask, but we'll have some fun here if that's all right. So sure, you, you, you've done 23 Super or uh, 23 World Series, six Super Bowls, as you said. What are some of the most memorable ones when you think back to those? I think, you know, they say you never forget your first, your first anything. And I, I think for World Series being 27 and being in the Bronx and yelling into a microphone that the Yankees were champions of baseball. That's, that's just nothing I ever grew up thinking I would do. You know, I, I, I think I grew up hoping that someday I would be calling Cardinals baseball and hoping probably back when I was a little kid that I'd be doing it with my dad, but to do it on a national level at a young age. And now I have a 25 year old daughter and a 22 year old daughter. And, you know, to, to think of where they are and, and I couldn't be more proud of them. They're my best friends in the world. Uh, but to think of where I was in my mid twenties, I, I don't know how I really handled all that. And, and back then it's funny because it felt normal. It felt like the next natural step. But now I look back as a 52 year old guy going, good God. I mean, I, I, I acted like I belonged and I really didn't. And, and, you know, that's kind of how life works. You fake it till you make it. And you, fake it to make it appear that you are more comfortable than you actually are. So I would say that first world series, as far as games, there is no game, baseball, football, any golf tournament I ever covered, uh, any college basketball game I ever did that compares to the 2011 world series in game six. Yeah. Um, with David freeze and the home run and what he did in the ninth inning with the two out two run triple to, send it to extra innings. I mean, that, that was at the end of this improbable run for a team that was double digits out with a month to go uh, to get there, to win that game. And then like Larusa said to me in his office after the game, game six was great, but it's just going to be a footnote if we don't win tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, and they did. It, it just, it, it's shocking even to watch the replay of it. Now, knowing how the game ends, to think that they won that ball game and then consequently win the world series. So I I think world series, those are the ones that jump out at me, super bowl. They're all unique. Um, The one that that still is in the front of my mind is super bowl 42, which was the second one I did, which was the giants and the Patriots when the Patriots Mm -hmm. were going for 19 and 0 the giants that was Eli Manning's, you know, coming out party in the postseason, And they won that game. It was back and forth in the fourth quarter. Even more the catch so catch on the head, right? The they catch on the helmet, which yeah. people give me crap for. Uh, <laughs> but when you're doing a game and you know a hundred million people are on the other side of that thing you're talking into, you have to be sure. And when I look back on it, it's like I it just was a ball, a helmet, some hands. I it was hard to really see that it was a catch. And so you have to be sure before you're screaming and yelling, what a catch, what a catch. And by the time it was clearly a catch. The moment it already passed. So I'd rather err on the side of caution than, sure. than go crazy and have to pull it back. So I think those are the those are the ones that really stand out to me as far as, you know, big audience, big moment and and 
trying to come through in the clutch. Yeah, I bet you get uh, you ever get tired of hearing the oh you're a Homer Cardinal fan versus you know the, what what do they say the Chicago fans they think oh. you're a Packers fan the Packers think you love the yeah. Bears Yankees Red Sox it's like do I get tired of it um I, yeah I, I do I think you do a phenomenal job I really do I'm not just saying that because you're on here I, I think you do a phenomenal job because I don't know what people can think even the Cardinals saying you know we will see you tomorrow night I'll never forget I was at the game but still I've watched it now 500 times right. Right. I think you do a phenomenal job of that. I just got to say. Well, it's it's hard because I, I still it's hard to take the Cardinals out of your DNA, and and I they are so a part of me uh, just because I'm my dad's son, and I grew up going to that ballpark as I already said yeah. every night, and so and then you're doing the games for real. But when I was little and I was a Cardinal fan, my mood every day in the spring and summer was set on if the Cardinals won or lost the previous day. And I couldn't wait for him to get back at it that next night, especially if they lost to try to get that back. And so that never goes away, but being a fan and doing your job, you know, if you're a Cardinal fan, you're listening to Dan McLaughlin and whoever, Brad Thompson or Jim Edmonds, whoever he's doing the games with, and they have a rooting interest. I've done games that way. That's how I did Cardinal games. The Cardinal fans that are watching don't care about the Mets. They don't care about the Pirates. They don't care about the Astros. They want to hear about the Cardinals, and that's how you have to do it. You're part of the Cardinals group. But when you do it as a national guy, well, now you have to get excited for the Cardinal guy hitting a home run. You have to get excited for the Giants guy hitting the home run. And people hear that after they've been hearing their own announcers, no matter where they are all year, they go, well, why is this guy so happy? Cause the other team just hit a home run. That's not yeah. how I hear it all year. So you can't really win that thing. And, and I think if I complain about it too much, they'll just get rid of me. So, uh, <laughs> and whoever's next, yeah. Who's ever next is going to get the same stuff. So I, I might as well just enjoy it and deal with it uh, later in life with therapists. Uh, well, that's, that's good too. So let's, uh, we'll, we'll come back to some sports stuff, but I, I think it's also important to know, man, you're, you're a passionate guy about a lot of causes. And, and so shed some light on that for our listeners, if you will, like what, what are some of the passions you have that you wish you had more time? And obviously you're getting ready to get in the busy schedule here with football and baseball and playoffs and everything. So, but what, what do you wish you had more time to uh, focus on? I think the most important thing I saw my dad do was use his position as the Cardinals announcer and a trusted voice and a trusted person to raise money for causes. He did it for cystic fibrosis. He did it for Matthews Dickey boys and girls clubs. He did it for, I mean, countless, anybody that came to him and said, Hey, do you have an open night that you can, we're doing a fundraiser. He said, yes. And I saw that firsthand, even when he was at his sickest, um, he said, what can I do to help? And, and I, I've always tried to emulate that. You're right. I mean, we all wish we had more time to do, you name it, whether it's raise money or be with your own kids or, you know, have some fun and play golf or be with your wife or whatever it is. We all wish we had more time for that stuff. But I, I think the most important thing I can do is use draft off my dad a little bit and use whatever standing I have to raise money for children's hospital, which I've done for 20 years now. And, I went in there when I was a young dad and they were testing our oldest daughter for cystic fibrosis, which mm. was, it was ironic because that was the cause that my dad probably raised the most money for in his lifetime. And, 
I, it's a funny aside. I had told my dad the day before, I was like, yeah, they're testing Natalie tomorrow for CF. And he said, she doesn't have CF. And I said, well, they're still, I know Dr. Buck, but they're still going to test her for cystic fibrosis. And he said, you don't have to worry. And, and his big thing was don't holler till you're hurt. That would, that was a, uh, that was a phrase that he used all the time. She's, she's going to be fine. She doesn't have it. Well, the next day we were scheduled at children's hospital at 11 AM and at 10:55, we're waiting in the lobby and in walks my dad. And he wanted to be with us while she got tested, which I just blows me away to this day because he forced that into his day. And as sure as he was that she didn't have CF, he wanted to be there. I think in case she did, and he could be there with us if we received that news. So when I was there, I, I looked at all the caregivers. I looked at the nurses. I looked at the doctors. I looked at the other parents, certainly looked at the kids that were in children's hospital. And I thought if I ever get it to a position in this city where I can really help a cause, this is going to be the one that I latch on to. And, and about the time I started with the Cardinals and established myself a little bit, uh, Hale Irwin said I had, he had enough of his golf tournament. I think he did it for 25 years for children's and they handed the reins to me. And so that's been uh, kind of right there front and center yeah. in my life. And then, and then kids smart that I just raised a bunch of money for and, and have been for almost 20 years, but did jeopardy uh, as the host and yeah. donated some money from that. Uh, that's to me, the fact that we have to have that charity in this country uh, with as much money as there is in this nation to, to raise money for kids who don't have the basic necessities to go to school markers, pens, paper, pencils, erasers, whatever it is. Uh, that's what that charity and that money goes towards. So those are the two main ones that, that I, I focus on, but, but I'll also help anybody really that comes along and says, Hey, can you, you know, get the word out or whatever it might be. And, yeah. uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's, that's as important, uh, a part of my life as as broadcasting or being a parent myself. Love it. Love it. Well, your dad's work, man, through cystic fibrosis. We have uh, very dear friends of ours, Ryan and Alicia Luchtefeld. They have three children, two of which have CF. And I don't know if you've followed it lately, but there is a game changer drug that is out yes. there that is literally changing these two kids' lives. It's giving me cold chills right now. So shout out to Ryan and Alicia, a family you would never know what they had to deal with or had to deal with, with their kids. And you would never know it on their kids either, man. They're amazing people. And uh, so people like your dad are the reason uh, these kids' lives have been changed literally in the last year and a half. Yeah. It's funny you say that because I ran into somebody uh, at Lifetime Fitness just this past weekend who said to me, came up to me and said, are you Joe? And um, yes, we, I just have to tell you, your dad raising money for CF. I have a boy with CF and, He's thriving now. There's been this breakthrough drug. So I, I just had heard about this it's, five it's days incredible. ago. Yeah. I mean, it's literally incredible. Like I've never seen anything like it in my life actually. So yeah, so that's awesome. off to your, uh, to your dad, man. Um, what, what do you wish? Now you've got these uh, twin boys. I think, what are they? Three, right? Three. You've just over three. Daughters. And uh, what, what do you hope that they, uh, let's pick on these three boys now. Cause uh, you, you know, they're little and, uh, they got you and and their mom Michelle, your wife Michelle Beisner. So, what what do you hope they learn from you guys? I just hope they they go down the same path I I saw every day, which was a, a mom and dad that weren't telling me to be a good person. They were showing me how to be a good person. And my dad was notorious for walking into the ballpark and handing out hundred dollar bills to the concessionaires that we passed and 
He just wanted to make the world a better place around him. And he treated Maddie that used to run the elevator up to the press box the same way he treated Mark McGuire. I mean, it, it didn't matter who you were in life. And because he started with zero. I mean, he, he, yeah. he was a depression era kid. They had no money. He ended up working on the ore boats on the Great Lakes and then was uh, drafted went to Germany in world war II. because of that they had money through the GI bill to go to college. That's the only reason why he went to Ohio state, which was a state college. And, and without that, you know, who knows what he would have been and what he would have done. But I, I, he, he, whenever he had money, he wanted to give it away, whether it was to somebody in need or to a casino that was ready to take it out of his hand uh, for <laughs> rolling craps. But I, I saw two parents that, had every reason to think they were big deals that, that were the opposite of that and really just wanted to be good to those around him. And I, I, I feel like, you know, my daughters would tell you that they've seen me emulate that. Um, they see that in Michelle, their stepmom. And I think these boys see it with the way we treat people. I, I just don't think in this day and age with as many walls as have been put up between all of us, whether it's, you know, because of race or religion or political beliefs or, you know, whatever it is, it's just wall, 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 wall. And, and everybody's just sectioned off to themselves. And, uh, you know, I, I think being kind to everybody you come in contact with and going maybe the extra mile these days to really make eye contact and, and be a good person with someone is, is more important now than it's ever been, even when my dad was alive. So I, I, that's what I try to do every day. And I think that stuff sinks in. So these boys will see that um, come hell or high water. I like it. I like it. And they were awesome at the camp too, man. They were smiling and dancing and singing the whole time. I, that was the amazing thing. And I'm, I'm sure you've talked about coach ball game, maybe talk to coach ball game, but yeah. uh, for him to have my boys at three and a half years old, not even three and a half, listening to a 15 minute story about the life of Roberto Clemente, yeah, right? Like, come on, I can't get them to, you know, yeah. to finish their dinner, let right. alone uh, listen to a story about uh, an ex uh, pirates, right fielder, uh, no matter how great he was. So yeah, he, he's got a gift. Incredible. He's got an unbelievable ability to, to get people's attention, little kids attention and, uh, it was fun to see, no doubt. Yes, it was. So, so let's talk about this. So Steve Weinhoff, a buddy of mine, um, said, how do you keep cancel, uh, cancel culture and outside influences from impacting your work? I mean, that's a big deal right now, and especially for you, man. You got a microphone at all times, right, around yeah. you. How do you deal with that? It's probably – it's a great question, and it's probably the number one thing on my mind whenever I sit down at a microphone. And I think I have – because I do live sports – because, you know, I, I don't care what you did. I did, did Jeopardy. All that stuff's taped. You do a late night talk show. All that stuff's taped. Even Jimmy Kimmel Live is taped. Uh, right. you, but I say something and it goes from my mouth to your TV, wherever you are in this country. And it's the or number the one worry I have or the world or whatever. And and I think you, you have to be smart. You have to set some filters, uh, in your mind for whatever you want to say, it's got to get over these hurdles before it comes out of your mouth. And a lot of times I would contend that people who have been quote unquote canceled, 
whatever they said and however it was taken to get them canceled, it wasn't their intention. So you have to think, well, if I say this, how could it be taken wrong? And, and consequently it forces a lot of people into the middle lane and makes, I think people really kind of boring. Uh, I think, I think of my dad, I think of Harry Carey, I think of, you know, great announcers that had so much personality kind of larger than life figures and some of the stuff they said and did, wouldn't play in 2021. Um, and I wrote about that in my book. Uh, and, and somebody that was interviewing me during the press tour for all that stuff from the village voice in New York said, it seems like you're saying that that was a better time. And I, I, and I didn't fall into that trap. I said, well, I'm not saying it was better, just saying it was different. And, and I, I think a lot of that stuff is, is different for, for the good, but it's a frightening time to have a live microphone in front of your mouth. If you're, not paying attention to what is coming out of it. What, what's changed, do you think, over the last 30 years in your career? I mean, you think back to, I think you said, what, you were 19, you started minor league baseball for the Cardinals, yeah. and now you're 52, 53. I mean, what's, what's been the, I mean, obviously it's been a massive change in the world, but for you and your profession, what's changed the most? Well, I, th- I think along those lines, first of all, I think the game's changed a lot. Uh, the game, and, and I'm, I, I really am against doing this, get off my lawn act and, and saying, Oh, the base baseball was so much better in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. But I really think the baseball was better in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. <laughs> there was power, there was speed, there were the ability to hit and run. There were the ability to to shoot the ball to the opposite field and get a base hit through a hole. Now with shifts and uh yeah. The desire to launch. I mean, it, not that we're getting into the weeds on that, but it, it does get a little stagnant in the game. And I, I think for those of a certain age, I'm 52, to go back and look at the Whitey Herzog teams and Whitey Ball, I mean, that was fascinating. You know, yeah. he, he took any kind of player. And if they could run some, not even have to be blazing fast, but you could put stuff on, hit and runs. If you can make contact and run a little bit, you probably had a spot on, on his team. And a lot of that stuff is just gone. And then, and then the other part is in my business, social media has changed a lot of it, you know, back, you know, my dad got plenty of people that didn't like him, that had problems with stuff. He said that, you know, people from all over the spectrum. And if they didn't like it, they had to sit down, write a letter, address it to CBS radio, Camel X or CBS TV in New York, put a stamp on it and mail it off or mail it to our house. He got plenty of nasty letters from people that were mailed to our house and he'd read them or show them to me and then he'd throw them away. But now with social media, that stuff comes right to your phone, which, you know, it, it, it can be a little deflating if you want to start wading into all that stuff. So it amazes me how people have become things on social media, like, and, and I've, I've fallen into the trap too, where you just, you want to say something nasty or something funny. That's a bit cutting. And then you go, wait, that's a person on the other end of that thing. So if they read that, you know, that that's not nice, you know, at the well, you very can't read tone either. Right. You yeah. can't read tone. You, yeah. yeah. You, you infer tone a lot of the times and probably erroneously, but I think those are those are the main things that have changed. Um, the bases are still ninety feet apart, and the mound, yeah. at least for now, is sixty feet six inches. Uh, but but the the stuff around the game's changed for me a lot. Yeah, the the the, the switch or the uh, what do you call it? The switch thing. Uh, 
Yeah, that's what they call it, right? The chef. The chef, sorry. Thank you. Uh, It just is amazing to me, and you see it obviously way more than I do. It's amazing to me that somebody just can't slap one down third base more often than that. It it just blows my mind. It's I I do World Series games that are one, two-run games in in the eighth inning, and they're leaving, you know, for Max Muncy, they're leaving the entire left side of the infield open. It's like, do you think it might be? worthwhile just to try to get on base you're trailing by one run like is it just even bunt one down just bunt one and i said to joe madden maybe four years ago i said how many times would it take matt carpenter or max muncie or whoever to bunt successfully the other way for you to stop shifting on them and he said uh it would take a lot take 12 13 times in a row wow and and i was like okay because he'd rather in his mind he'd rather take that then open himself up to more. He, he, he'll take his chances on the guy making it out as opposed to hitting a home run. And then he went on to say, you know, I think the next evolution piece of evolution of the game is going to go back to the speed game because right now these players wouldn't know what to do. If you had yeah. one guy that had power and seven guys, and I guess it's going to be eight because the DH is going to come in next year universally, it seems. Okay. They can run and and put the bat on the ball and put the ball in play. Teams wouldn't know how to defense it. And uh, he may be right. It could go all the way in. Stuff comes in cycles. So maybe we go back to whitey ball type stuff in the future. I like it. So Wade Miller uh, sent a question in. He said, uh, <laughs> caught, digs, sideline, touchdown. He was at the game, the Vikings game. He said, where's that rank in all-time calls for you? It's it's top five for me. Uh, they call it the Minneapolis or Minnesota Miracle. And yeah. it was right in front of us, right on, our, right on the sideline, right below where we were calling the game. And it was amazing for a couple of reasons. First of all, you never get walk-off touchdowns. I mean, that rarely happens. You get a walk-off home run, but you, you rarely – normally if a game ends on the final play, it's a kicker kicking it through the uprights. And that's what probably was going to happen in that game and what made it so remarkable. Diggs makes the catch, and instead of just making the catch and automatically hopping out of bounds to stop the clock with three seconds left to have a field goal try to win it, he spins around and nobody's there and he just runs down the sideline and the game's over. So it's a walk-off touchdown. That was, I mean, that building was brand new and shaking when that happened. That, that was so, so cool. That's cool. Thanks for sharing that. So I'm going to, I'm going to list some names here, some people in sports and we can take this wherever you want to go, but maybe what, what do they mean for their town? What do they mean for uh, just you as a person that probably knows these people pretty well? And what do they mean uh, just, you know, for our country? So, uh, and I don't mean that in a political standpoint, just, you know, in sports, but sure. let's start with a local Yadier Molina. Just, I mean, he's, he's a hall of famer. Uh, he's the best at what he does and is, has been the best of what he's done for a long, long time. I mean, to think that he came up as kind of a heavier guy, the way he's changed his body, the consistency, the command he has back there. I mean, he's a game changer and he's a game changer in his late thirties at that position. I mean, it just doesn't happen. It's so good to get him back for one more year. And if I yeah. can, if I can just have my dream for a minute, Wayno comes back for one more. Yachty comes back for one more. You think we can yank Albert over for like a year to have him just come out for a few curtain calls? 
Yeah, I mean, to a certain degree, but at some point we have to move on. At some know, point, they, they have to get younger and more exciting. We got enough guys that right. are kind of station to station. And yeah, I mean, but you're talking I want him about there for a mentor. I don't want him as an everyday player. I need him as a no. mentor and a couple. And, of and next year, like I said, I mean, the DH will be in play, and that'll help. Uh, that would help that. And I think he should retire as a Cardinal and not yeah. do the, I'm signing a deal for one day and I, um, I retire as a Cardinal. I think you should, yeah, come back and play. And you're right. You know, that, that is a really underrated piece of the game and talking about mentoring and, and having the right kind of mix in the clubhouse. And I think that's what LaRusso was always looking for. Um, and that's what the Yankees had all those years with Jeter and Rivera and Bernie Williams and Paul O'Neill. That clubhouse ran itself. And if you were a young kid coming up and you didn't act right, the players would get rid of you before management would. So there's real value in that. So the second group, I'm going to give you two people and you can pick one or, or both, but Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady. As far, I mean, I, I just, I, I can't believe what Tom Brady's done. And yeah. to think that, that first Super Bowl win was in 01. Yeah. I mean, 2003 Hall of Fame career. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's in, in that sport, you know, and, and then last year he threw more touchdowns than his age, all in for the year. And I, it's just, it's crazy that he's done this, but he, it's not by luck. I mean, he really works at it. He takes care of himself, he's changed the way he trained. Uh, it's all, it's not lifting. It's all like plyometric stuff and yeah. whatever. Uh, and Rogers is just, he's just a gunslinger and somebody, you know, you think that, that the Packers have gone from Brett Favre, who was just, he was the ultimate gunslinger and would yeah. roll to his left and throw to his right, and do stuff that would make head coaches crazy, but it worked. And then Rogers is just this incredibly smart uh, athlete that has the ability to get rid of the ball just with a flick of the wrist and he can sail it downfield uh, and find guys. I mean, he's phenomenal. So I, I'm lucky I get to cover either one of those guys. Uh, your good buddy, Troy Aikman. We'll end with that one on uh, the, the group of people we want to talk about. Troy Aikman. I, I just, I learned early on, you know, this is our 20th year together, which is mind blowing to us, but, uh, I found out immediately why the guy won three Super Bowls and is in the Hall of Fame. I mean, he leaves nothing to chance. He he's one of those guys that if you give him a gift at Christmas, he comes back with a handwritten thank you note, you know, to everybody on the crew. And it's like there's more hours in his day than I have hours in my day because he gets so much done. It's like, oh yeah, I ran six miles today, and then I I watched four hours of film and you start do adding up all the things I'm like, did you go to sleep or are, are there just 29 hours in your day? Cause it just doesn't make sense, but he's great. He's been a great friend. We're fathers to two daughters. And that was something that we always uh, had in common and still do obviously. And, and it's, it's, I think that bound us together early on and we've just been great friends ever since. So another question by Steve, I thought was a great question was, you probably have uh, obviously opinions of people you cover, right? Uh, so how do you maintain your objectivity when talking about or uh, not treating them differently when you may or may not like those people? Well, I, it's gotten easier and easier because I have less and less contact with these guys. I mean, back uh, when I was doing the Cardinals, I, I was, you know, you're on the bus with them. You're in the plane with them. You're in the hotel with them. You, you know, you know, I'm like brothers. And back then I was, that same age, you know, I was 21, right. 22, 23, 24, 25. So were they. So I was friends with a lot of those guys. 
I just haven't met a lot of people that I cover that I would say, Oh, the guy's not a good guy. I, I think sports gets rid of a lot of those people. Now there, there's some guys, you know, Barry Bonds have told that story a million times where, you know, he, he'd glare at you and make it known just by a look that he doesn't really want to talk. And and that's fine. It's, it's not up to them to talk to, to me as a broadcaster or, you know, do, do an interview. If I want to do an interview, I, I can separate that from watching somebody and admiring their talent and, and just covering the game and the personality stuff. I don't care about, you know, I, I feel like unless they're down there worrying about me, I'm, I'm not up there worrying about them, what kind of people they are. I just want to see good sport and I want to That's see, awesome. I, I want to see a good game. I love that. What, um, there, there was something I did in my research and I saw in 1996 World Series, you were talking about a picture of your dad watching the TV, but holding your yeah. baby, man. Tell me about that. It, it's, it was captured on one of those throwaway cameras. So there's no negative. I don't know where the negatives go on throwaway, like those Walgreens <laughs> right. cameras. My mom took it, which the fact that and she's here, not in the room, but I would say this in front of her, uh, that it's in focus and, and it, it was taken the way it was taken that it just was cool because I was doing my first world series. I'm on the screen on the TV. My dad is in front of the TV watching, but he's holding my oldest daughter, my, my first child on his chest with her head, like on his shoulder. And it was my daughter being held by my dad, watching me do a national world series game. And, you know, the funny, maybe the funniest part of it all is when I would call him after games, big games, world series games, he would act like he didn't watch it. It, Like as a joke. And (laughs) what game? uh, Yeah. That's what he would say. And I I would say when I did that world series in 96, I called him after game six, which was the last game of the series. And, it's like, well, what'd you think? And he said, what time's it come on? And I said, come on, I know you watched it. And he said, it was great. It was great. And then he handed the phone to my mom and I talked to my mom the next day. And she said he was crying so hard because he was so proud that he didn't, he couldn't talk and he didn't want to make it awkward. So he just handed the phone off, but that's the kind of stuff I was heard. He, and, and the beauty of what my dad did for me is not only show me personally by his example, what it meant to be a broadcaster, but he never hovered over me. He, he wasn't the guy going, well, I heard you call this home run. Here's how I would have done it. Or, you know, you're making a mistake here. Every, he just let me find my own way and wasn't the guy that was going, well, you know, I'm in the hall of fame, so I'm going to show you how to do it. He just let me do it on my own. And, and I'm so grateful for that, that, that just helped our relationship immensely. Yeah. It's important, man, to have that because you also knew he was one phone call away, right? At that time, oh, give you the advice you needed and you get it. And not only that, I mean, he joked that I was, when I was working in Louisville, that's when I learned the definition of the word subsidized because I, <laughs> I was making like $190 right. every two weeks money that you couldn't really live on. Um, so he would send me money to allow me to do triple a baseball in the summer. I think we got $14 a day meal money. Um, and I was also the traveling secretary. So I was making less than 400 bucks a month and my rent alone was a thousand dollars or whatever it was a month. So I needed help to get through that. And he was there for that. And I think that was his, his test without him saying it to me is, I'd been around it all my life. It's what I thought I wanted to do. 
But then it was like, all right, we're going to see if he really does love it because now he's going to do it every day. He's going to deal with these players. He's going to be yep. the traveling secretary. If you love it, you're going to find out fast. If you don't, you're going to find out fast. And and he found out and I found out that I, I yep. loved it. That's what I wanted. Well, that's the grind, right? People see you as Joe Buck now, what, 23 Super or uh, World Series of six yeah. samples. They don't see that. They don't see no, it, it, they don't see that. And they don't know the work that I put in to get ready for each game. And yeah. it's, it's, I think people just kind of assume that you should just show up and call the game. And it's, especially in, in this day and age, the sports fan is so much more knowledgeable than when I started. That could be another part of the answer to your earlier question, because all the information is going to everybody's phone. I mean, everybody is so up to date. It's like, what are you bringing in new to this broadcast that I haven't read three times on my phone this week about the kicker of the Packers or the whatever it is, you got to find other stuff to bring in or, or you're just regurgitating stuff that people already know. So it, you have to know that, but you have to add to it. Yep. Uh, so let's just get in with this. We'll start wrapping up here. You got daddy issues right here, right over my shoulder here. So That's an awesome podcast, have, man. man. It's a amazing podcast. You and Oliver Hudson, talking about daddy issues, but you're talking about so much more. So what, what made that? I'm assuming because of uh, the quarantine and kind of COVID stuff you were at home. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, it, we were going to do it anyway and we got it up and running and talked about it February um, before, I guess we all kind of got shut down in March a couple of years ago. Yeah. So the timing of it was good on one hand because we all had plenty of time. It was bad on the other because I think a lot of people listen to podcasts in transit and there wasn't a lot of transiting going on at that <laughs> time. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I love it because he and I are good friends. Uh, I knew his sister, Kate Hudson, uh, before I knew him, uh, I've become friends with his family, which means Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell and yeah. Wyatt Russell. And it's a cool family. And he's, he's the oldest child, but he's the one that has had a really nice acting career, but it's always like, Oh, you're Kate Hudson's brother or oh, you're Goldie Hawn's son, or, Oh, aren't you related to Kurt Russell or Wyatt Russell? And he's dealt with that his whole life. And he had daddy issues because his dad, one of the Hudson brothers, Bill Hudson left uh, the family when Oliver was 10 or 11 years old. My daddy issues are all good things. I mean, he comes at it like he wants to reconnect with his dad. I couldn't have been more connected to my dad and to this day remain connected to my dad almost 20 years after he passed away. So um, it, we have fun. And like you said, we talk about daddy issues 40% of our audience is female. Um, and we just, I think it's a different side of me than people typically yeah. see or hear. Uh, I told you this when we were together, but it, I love it, man. I listened to all of them. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity right now before we go. How important is your wife, Michelle, to you? Because you kind of got your chops busted a little I bit. I did. Your speech. So I'm going to give you a chance because I'm sure she's going to tune into the circuit of success, right? There's no doubt. And, <laughs> and so you bring that up because... What happened, I got an award in Canton, Ohio from the Pro Football Hall of Fame. They say to me that day, hey, I'm preparing this long speech and I've got it all written out. And they go, oh, you're going to have two minutes and you're going to only two minutes. And if you go over that, they're going to cut you off. And you're, only, you're doing it during the commercial break of the TV presentation. So I'm like, <laughs> wow, okay. So why am I doing this exactly? But I get out there and my wife's the only one with me. And I launched into the speech and I had this beautiful section written about her 
that I look up and I'm already over two minutes and I haven't even started thanking my bosses, my mom, my, you know, whatever. So we get to her part and I'm, I'm trying now to just skip through the end of it. And I said everything about her and me, except her name and, and the fact that she works at ESPN, which was kind of one of the most important things I wanted to get out there. But so she gave me trouble about it and it's been like the bane of my existence. So thank you, Brett, for doing that because anytime I speak now, I start with thanking my wife. Uh, even well, make sure you say her name, even on here. Yes. Michelle Beisner, Buck, <laughs> but Michelle Beisner and I, and I am, you know, I love it. Man. She, she's, she's a great mom and uh, deals with me and these two little boys and moved to St. Louis for all this and also is a tremendous talent on ESPN yep. on their Monday night football coverage. So I couldn't be happier and more blessed with the person that I get to share my life with family feud or jeopardy. Well, jeopardy, just cause it went better for me. Family feud. I embarrassed <laughs> my family name. Uh, well, going against my crap daughter. Out of you. Yeah. There's, there's more to that story. Okay. But I'm just going to let it ride and I'll take the, I'll bear the brunt of this, but Let's just say that was our second huddle and we weren't exactly on a consensus of what was going to be said, but I guess I, 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 I took matters into my own hands too much. Well, maybe next time. So Oliver got you. So I'm sure you'll hear about that as well. Oh, yeah. so, hey, yeah, if yeah, Oliver yeah. gets to town though, you know, if you need an extra for golf, uh, I hear he's a, hell of a you golfer. and I are going to partner up and we'll take on him and who will get Smoltz and Oliver and you and me, and, and we'll just work them over. Okay. I think I, I will. Yep. I just checked my calendar. I'm free that day. Okay, good. Uh, well, Hey, good. Joe Buck, thanks for being with me, man. Check out daddy issues. You can get it on any podcast station. You can get obviously check out his book, uh, Lucky Bastard, phenomenal book. Uh, and then you can find him anywhere on Instagram and you can hear him in your television any Saturday or Sunday. You want, <laughs> That's true. On, right. That's true. Uh, and, and again, for your listeners, find Brett at some driving range and just watch him hit his driver. It's amazing. <laughs> All right, Joe. Good to talk to you, man. And uh, All right, buddy. I'll see you soon. Yeah. Let's tee it up again. All right. Bye-bye. See ya. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.